For it is by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves, but it is a gift of God. Ephesians 2.8 Welcome to Grace Bond Ministries. Hey everybody, welcome to Grace Bond Ministries. Uh, Jonathan here with, our, with uh, my special guest, Trent Blake. And uh, we're, we've got a very deep topic to talk about today. It's called Molinism. Um, so this is a, a view, we'll, we'll get into it here more in just a second, but uh, we want to introduce, introduce ourselves first. Uh, if this is your first time watching the podcast, I'm Jonathan. Uh, I have a bachelor's in Christian studies from Bruton Parker College in Georgia, and uh, I also am a youth pastor, been in the ministry about seven years now, uh, something like that, <laughs> and uh, been done a lot of stuff. also work at a funeral home, so uh, anybody who wants some stories, I can help you with that. <laughs> um so fun i've also yeah i've also got uh, trent here with me and uh trent is uh, trent blake is the editor-in-chief of baseline christianity he seeks to help christians deepen their love for god and in doing so equip them to replicate that love to others trent is a graduate of word of life bible institute and is currently taking online courses with moody bible institute for pastoral ministry he has also written for the revolution.com and has been featured in the best-selling christian young adult book do hard things um, all right, so Trent, if you want to uh, explain a little bit to us a little bit more about your website and the uh, you know the the uh, and all the other experience you have, yeah, man, no problem. So website the website is primarily a resource library to help people to have a kind of a one stop shop where they can just you can send a link. There's a really good page on logical arguments the existence of God or scientific argument the existence of God or hey how does God's sovereignty and free will work together or whatever or hey what's some good sermons that from a bunch of different preachers across America here's a has on it a bunch of links to different preachers so designed to be a good starting place for anyone looking to start growing and deepening their love for God so a lot of that has to do with knowledge and that knowledge can if used correctly can help us to just grow a deeper appreciation for God and who he is and how wonderful God is. So um, the other stuff, so uh, I was a part of the revolution, which was a, uh, it was a mint started by Alice and Brett Harris. They're the author of the book of things. It was the early 2000s when it started. I came along a little bit later, but uh, basically um, the idea was to encourage teenagers to rebel against the low expectations. So it was a rebel revolution, a rebel-lution. That's the idea. Um, and so the book, um, do hard things. I lost it for a second. The book do hard things is designed to encourage these students. Hey, listen, let's do hard things. Let's do things that are really hard for God, the, not just fall into apathy and just do this right. And so I featured it as one of my stories about low expectations in the second edition of their book. So that's where that's coming. All right. Um, <clears throat> So uh, that's that's awesome. Um, got a lot of stuff going on, and and uh, the website seems to yeah. be uh, seems to be picking up. So uh, you know that's uh, so exciting. So so listen, if you're uh, you want to read some articles, some good articles, check out baselinechristianity.com, and um, and you'll hear some stuff, even some stuff similar to what we're talking about today, and and it covers a lot of topics. Definitely. Got a lot of different writers now. So um, so there's all kinds of there's all kinds of stuff you can see. Uh, and read on there and learn. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about Molinism, and uh, mm. Molinism is a is a very uh, <clears throat> it's a very deep thing. I, I, the only 
I don't know if I, I didn't share this with you, Trent, but the only only time I ever heard about Molinism was from William Lane Craig. And trying to understand William Lane Craig when you're as dumb as me, uh, it's uh, <clears throat> it's a hard thing to do. <laughs> but uh, somehow yeah. I grabbed a hold of some of it. <laughs> he definitely is more on the scholarly side. Yeah. yeah. So uh, and I don't I don't blame him for talking like that because of all the critiques he gets. But um, so, anyways, sure. um, I, I don't know. I just kind of got drawn to Molinism a little bit. Uh, I still have I still have a few doubts in it, and uh, maybe we'll we'll talk about some of those on this podcast. But uh, but yeah, so so Trent, let me go ahead and pass it over to you. Just to kind of open this up, you know what it what is Molinism, um, and uh, yeah, just go ahead and get started on Definitely. that. Right. So Molinism, to put it simply, is the belief that God created our world, the whole universe, in such a way that our free choices would bring about naturally um, His predestined plan perfectly. And so the idea is God created the world with gravity, that God created the world with all the constants, God created the world with the initial conditions, the circumstances, um, every little thing was designed so that in those circumstances, we would freely, that's what the libertarian sense, libertarianly freely choose to do certain things because of those circumstances to bring about his plan perfectly. It finds its roots in the um, Spanish theologian from the 16th century named Luis de Molina. I'm sorry, I mispronounced his name. Luis de Molina. Molina was, he was a, a Jesuit Catholic priest um, who lived alongside the early reformers of uh, Luther, Calvin, and then later Jacob Arminius. Um, Luis Molina, I can't speak today, I'm sorry. <laughs> Luis Molina, he's often characterized as a, a counter reformer. Um, like someone seeking to undermine the Protestant Reformation. I feel like that's more of a, a villainization um, by people who disagree with him theologically. Um, he, he was a Catholic priest, um, just like Luther was. Um, Luther was in the um, Augustinian tradition. Um, but uh, the whole idea is that Molina did disagree with Luther and Calvin on some issues, but in other issues, he agreed with them. Yeah, the church needs to grow. The church needs to change. There's definitely some areas where it needs to 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 come out of certain theological areas and come into other ones. But um, Molina definitely did also have some, some pretty strong theological weaknesses, just like Luther and Calvin. Um, but I think we need to give him some grace um, just because he's a Catholic doesn't mean he got everything wrong. Uh, for example, you have uh, a Luther and Calvin even um, who believed that uh, if you baptize someone or you're supposed to baptize infants to take away original sin. It was like a weird soft baptismal regeneration type thing. And it's, it's something we would consider heresy today. Um, and so just because they had those beliefs doesn't mean we can't benefit tremendously from the things that they said that were right. And so I think the same thing with Molina, he had some things, I would totally avoid that, say, hey, don't go for, for his overemphasis on certain things. And um, for example, he had a tendency like the other Jesuits to emphasize works a little bit too far um, when it comes to salvation. Um, and then same thing alongside the, uh, is un, basically an undying uh, devotion to the Pope, which again, we wouldn't um, endorse that either yet. Molina had some really excellent beliefs and great contributions when it came to the issues of divine sovereignty and human free will. Um, Kirk McGregor, um, who is a scholarly um, biographer, wrote a really excellent book on Molina's life um, that I'm really anxious to start reading. I haven't gotten to it yet. haven't read it yet. I have this massive stack of books I've been trying to get to, but I've heard so many great reviews about it, and I'm really excited for it. Um, but he, he argues, and I believe as well, that the single greatest contribution to the world of theology was the idea of middle knowledge. Uh, McGregor defines middle knowledge as this. McGregor says, it's God's knowledge of all things that would happen in every possible set of circumstances, both things that are determined to occur and those, and the, those circumstances 
I'm sorry, let me say that again. It's determined to occur by those circumstances and those things that are not determined to occur by those circumstances. So the key word in all that, I know it can get a little complex, is this. God has knowledge of all things that would happen in any other hypothetical scenario. That's the idea. So that's basically the gist of um, where Molinism came from, basically. So. All right. Um Actually, that's man. Thank you for opening it up like that. Um, and uh, I, I think um, uh, uh, I, I'll go ahead and do this, you know, just comparing it to some of these other views. So, you know, you've got Molinism, which is this, you know, this idea of middle knowledge, which we're going to jump into uh, even more here in a second, uh, because that's, I mean, that's the main part. If you don't understand this idea right. of middle knowledge, yeah, you're going to have a hard time understanding the rest of it because it's all based off of that. So, um, so, so you also got, um, you know, you got Calvinism and then you've got Arminianism. So uh, long story short, a Calvinist would look at a Molinist and say, well, if there's any chance that libertarian free will does absolutely anything or that you truly have free will, then God is no longer sovereign. And then Arminians would tell Molinists, well, if God's sovereign, then there's no way you could also you could possibly have free will. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so then a, and, and an open theist, you know, we get to, uh, you know, we get to middle knowledge and the, the, the reason. Uh, I, I've always been drawn to open theism, but the reason I can never accept open theism is because open theism, it says that God does know everything that uh, possibly could happen. He knows every single scenario, knows every single choice everybody could make, um, and pretty much that he's a, he, can, uh, he can guess with almost complete certainty, but not 100% certainty. I always call it a 99% God, and my friend hates that, but uh, I said, God, pretty much 99%, he knows what you're going to choose, but he's not 100% sure uh, because he doesn't mm -hmm. uh, he doesn't see the future in that way. Now, he can intertwine himself right. with free will and stuff like that. But um, uh, so that's kind of where some of the other uh, did I miss anything there? I mean, is there anything else right. that maybe somebody else would say? <clears throat> I think there's definitely some nuances. Um, you have some Calvinists who. Um, like Greg Kokel, who would say that they affirm libertarian free will, but also this weird determinism um, as well with Calvinism. It's a little bit interesting approach. Um, and some Armenians who say, well, they believe that predestination refers to what happens in the, uh, what the church is designed is going to go to. The church is going to go, going to be predestined to heaven. Anyone who, can get, who wants to get onto that can. And as far as God's plan, we just don't really talk about it because we don't know. And so you have quite a few different views on these different issues, um, but you you definitely hit the main primary, most popular ones for sure. Um, but yeah, I would say that um, Molinism um, can be defined um, as basically God creating the world in such a way that our free choices would result in his predestined plan perfectly. Um, Tim Stratton, he's the, the founder and editor for Free Thinking Ministries. He believes that there are two primary essential pillars to the very basics of what Molinism is. It's what he calls mere Molinism. I really like his uh, pillar system. And it's basically the bare basic belief system um, about if you want to be a Molinist, this is the bare basic beliefs you have to affirm. And it's pretty simple stuff that almost everyone would affirm if they really think through it. It's this. One, God is eternally omniscient right? God knows everything, always has known everything, always will know everything. That's the idea. Um, and then two, humans possess libertarian free will. Um, so let me, let me dig into that a little bit more, okay? So first thing, first is quite simple. This is the belief that God always knew everything that could happen, that would happen, and will happen. 
Um, so this is important, these three different types of things, okay? So systematically, this omniscience can be divided into these three types of knowledge. One, this is the technical term. So if you're kind of getting a little lost here, it, don't worry about it. We're just going to go real deep for a second. We're going to come back up a little bit to the surface. So if you're really deep into this, get your notepad out. Let's go for it. If you're like, hey, I'm just trying to understand how this all works together. Just bear with me for a little bit. All right. All right. So these are the technical. Yeah, right. These are the the technical uh, terms for God's types of knowledge. It's basically saying omniscience. Let's divide that into categories. All right. So type number one is God's natural knowledge. All right. So this is God's knowledge of everything that could logically happen right it's what and also what couldn't happen so for example um god's fixing to create the universe he's like all right what do i know right god's thinking what do i know god first knows what's logically possible and impossible so for example god knows he cannot create a married bachelor right with a, a married unmarried person just contradicts itself it, it doesn't work right so he knows what's possible and impossible he also knows hey i can create a teddy bear if i want i can create a thousand teddy bears if i want to i can do uh, what I want there. So that's his knowledge of what's possible versus impossible. And then you have Molina's idea of middle knowledge. And this is something that it's pretty obvious, but a lot of people don't really see it. And this is a God's knowledge of everything that would happen in any scenario that God decided to create. So for example, God knows if he created a very specific red dwarf star, right? Um, he knows that in a, in a specific set of circumstances that he made, that red dwarf star would create, I don't know, maybe just say 150,233 solar flares in his lifetime. I don't know, right? So he knows if I did this, this would be the natural result, right? So this can be the case with, and when you look at Molina's definition, this is the case for things that are just not free creatures. They're just normal phenomenon, right? And also this middle knowledge guy would know not only how many solar flares would cause an effect happen because of creating a star, he also knows what I would do if he created me. He knows if he created me, put me in these circumstances, I'd be on this podcast here today, right? So he knows if I created Trent in this world, this would happen. And this would happen not because Domino's falling in line, he had to, but just because I knew Trent in that situation would see the, the data and say, I'm going to decide to do this today. I'm just going to choose to do that. Um, a good analogy for this is um, the FBI, right? If the FBI is trying to catch a criminal, say they're trying to catch a car thief, right? And this guy, he's stolen like Maseratis. He's stolen all kinds of super nice cars. He's stolen Corvettes. He's stolen uh, Jeeps because I know they're not super nice, but they're really cool and I like them. So he's stolen all kinds of stuff, right? So he's he's a car thief, right? The FBI is trying to catch this guy, but they don't have much evidence. So what do they do? They create a sting operation. What they do is they set it up. So they take the car. They take some really nice car. Maybe it's a half a million dollar car, right? They leave it running on the street and just kind of walk away right where they know this guy's going to be. This guy looks around, doesn't see anybody there. He gets into the car, drives away. Then the car has a machine in it. It locks him down. He can't get out. And then they catch him, right? So what happened there? Did the FBI cause him to make the decision to get into the car? No. To steal the car? No. But what they did is they put him in circumstances because they know what he would do in that circumstance. And so chose to put in that circumstance so they could catch him and bring him to justice. And so this middle knowledge is God's knowledge of what would happen in this circumstance, even if that circumstance would, didn't happen. God knows any hypothetical knowledge. That's the idea of middle knowledge, right? And then you have God's free knowledge. This is God's knowledge of everything that will happen um, in, the, in the scenario that God decided to create. So for example, God knows um, every time it will rain in the future, in his creation. He knows every time that Christian's power is going to go. He knows everything. Once he has created the universe, he's like, all right, because of my creation, 
this is going to be the result. This is what's going to happen. It's taking his middle knowledge and saying, I know what would happen in, in world A. I'm going to create world A. And so now I know, based on that middle knowledge already, that that would is going to turn into a will. All right. Let's come out of the weeds here. And let's resurface. Okay. That's where we get all complicated. Natural knowledge, middle knowledge, and free knowledge. All right. So basically, to sum it all up, God knows everything. That's the idea for the first pillar of mere Molinism. Then you have the second pillar. Humans possess libertarian free will. Here's the idea. Humans can make decisions without any sort of what's called a determining basis outside of themselves. I know we're getting to the weeds again, but just hang with me, okay? Basically, this is the idea. Each person is responsible for his choice or her choice because they are the only source for those choices. We can see that an example of this in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 and 20. And you can look that up if you would like to as well. But um, the idea is people make choices because God's given them the freedom to make whatever choice they want. So if I am confronted with an apple, I can choose to eat that apple, throw that apple away, stomp on that apple, throw it up my dog if I want to be a, a, a jerk, or I could do whatever I want to do. I can do what I want to do, right? Anything that's compatible with my nature. And that's important there because I can't jump 50 feet in the air because I don't have the ability to do that. But anything within my ability, that's what it means to have libertarian free will. And so this is, if you want to get really deep and technical, this is based on a belief called agent causation. Um, this is for the really technical people here, okay? Agent causation is the belief that people, agents, have the ability to be first causes of their choices. So like, for example, if you're thinking dominoes in a line, right? You hit one domino and it causes a bunch of things to happen, right? So for example, if I, um, if I decide, you know what, well, dominoes, that, that's a perfect example right there. If I flick a domino, it will result in domino two falling and three and four and five, et cetera. The idea of agent causation is saying, hey, God has created within you in the image of God, the ability to make a choice without some prior chain reaction forcing you to make that choice. That's what's called libertarian free will. Everything else that are not free people, it's all caused by event causation. So it's that dominoes in the line. God creates the world and creates it with certain subatomic particles. And those particles result in this, result in this, result in this, which result in the weather, which result in everything else today. So does that make sense? So that's the whole idea of libertarian free will. Now, um, the way that differs between Arminianism and Calvinism um, is Arminianism tends to not really take into account middle knowledge. Arminian ba Arminianism basically says, hey, listen, uh, God knows everything, right? God knows what could happen, and God knows what will happen. And after God knows what will happen, then God decrees what's going to happen. But you got to think about the order of things, why that, why that doesn't really work, okay? Because if you think about it, if God, create, if God knows what's going to happen, and then God knows what will happen. And only after knowing what's going to happen already creates what's going on here. Who's really making a decision about what's going to happen? Because God's knowing something before he's decided to do something. It doesn't really make sense. And so what happens is God's foreordination or predestination is basically just saying, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to create the universe blindly. And then after that, learn uh, what's happening. And then from that learning of what's happening with my free knowledge, my knowing of what will happen after learning that, then I'm going to say, all right, that's the predestined plan. It's almost like God is saying, um, I don't know what's going to happen, but that's my plan. And it, it doesn't seem like a really stable situation. Calvinists tend to go on the other side of things. They say, okay, 
well, obviously God can't just decide based on not knowing anything. So God has to maybe make a decision. Um, and that decision is going to determine everything. And so, for example, the Calvinists will often say, listen, uh, the only reason you're able to make choices is because God caused you to make those choices, right? And so it's kind of hard to explain, but the idea is God doesn't know what you would do in those other circumstances because God is the creator of what you would do. Does that make any kind of sense? And so it's not saying the, the reason Calvinists reject the Molnus view of middle knowledge is what they do is they reject that you would do anything other than what God has deterministically caused you to do. And so they reject the idea of libertarian free will. And because of that, middle knowledge becomes, in their minds, obsolete. So that's the idea. Um, so that's, I would say, how it compares to the other belief systems there. Does that make sense? Or do you have any clarification questions or anything? Because I know I'm not always the best at clarifying it super well. Yeah, I wish we could I wish we could go back um, to, to the creation story. But uh, most, it's kind of strange because most Calvinists I've talked to will say that... Uh, that like Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve had full free will, full libertarian. That's the only time in all of history they had full libertarian free will, where they could have chose something otherwise. And then our, you know, our total depravity happened after the fall. But, um, <clears throat> you know, yeah. so I'm I'm thinking is I'm thinking straight from straight from the start before God created put brought anything into existence. Uh, you know, he's he. I mean, uh, at at that point. Um, if I'm, if I understand this all correctly, at that point, uh, uh, with Calvinism, he would say they would say that God knew from that point exactly every single step that would happen from there on out. And not only did he does he know it, but he also determines every single step that's going to happen. So he determined that right. that the you know the, the Israelite nation nation would would uh, form. And then he determined that the Israelite nation would would fall. You know. And all of that was just right. all basically for his glory. Um, <clears throat> but then a Molinist would probably would say something along the lines of uh, God, you know, and uh, it kind of gets into Alvin planning gets free will defense with the problem of evil, too. But, uh, you know, God would create the world in which, uh, you know, in in which uh, the most amount of people would freely choose to follow him and not be forced to follow him. And so even though he knew that. Adam and Eve uh, would sin or would, could, and will sin, <laughs> you know, all three, <laughs> you know, yeah. even though he knew that he created this world anyways, because he knew this, this type of world would be the, the, the best possible scenario in which the most amount of people would freely choose to follow and worship him. Um, uh, I, I'm having a hard time and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, either one of those, but I am having sure. a hard time what the difference would be between what those two would say and then what an Arminian would say. Definitely. So the Arminian would basically say that God bases his predestination on his free knowledge or his foreknowledge of what will happen. So basically God learns what will happen. And then after learning what will happen, he predestines what's going to happen. And so the idea is he's simply affirming whatever is going to happen already. He's basically saying whatever will be, will be. And that's a, a pure free knowledge uh, idea of predestination. But the problem with that view is you're basically saying God has no say in how the world's going to run. He just creates blindly, learns about it, and then affirms it, say, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to have to deal with it. 
Um, and so not every Armenian would believe that, um, but unknowingly, unknowingly, if they would believe in middle knowledge, they are basically affirming Molinism without even realizing it. But that's the technical stance of an Armenian approach to things. Um, and, and, and so and the Molinists would basically to, say is, go ahead. Yeah, and just to jump in there, I, went, I emailed uh, Dr. Craig's website, and I asked mm -hmm. him, I said, do you think, uh, Molina, do you think he would have been an Armenian? Um, because uh, our, our Arminius came after Molina, right? Right. Well, yeah. Molina, it was a little bit of an overlap, but Molina died yeah. um, shortly before Arminius died. But you go ahead. So I didn't, I didn't get a response from Dr. Craig himself, but one of the people on his staff, mm -hmm. and they basically said we, that Dr. Craig has said multiple times that uh, had Arminianism been around, that he thinks Molina probably would have been an Arminian. Uh, and I think he would have probably mixed the two, but he, he might have been he would have been very close to Armenian, a lot closer to Armenianism than uh, Calvinism, for sure. Um, sure. So, um, actually, I was uh, I was learning from um, Tim Stratton, and he was discussing uh, Molina, his, his interactions with um, Arminius and with uh, Calvin. And so the, the five points of Calvinism um, came about in response to the followers of Arminius after Arminius died. Um, and basically... Um, they had these views about this simple foreknowledge predestination, which was simply God affirming whatever will be, will be. And the Senate of Dort the, uh, made the five points of Calvinism in response to that view. But there's actually some debate about whether or not Arminius actually believed that, or if he was more or, more or less influenced by Molina and his view of middle knowledge, and his followers didn't really get that. And so they decided, you know what, it's a simple foreknowledge that makes more sense. And you see that all throughout today. You see Molinism being confused with Arminianism, Arminianism all the time. And so because it's more complicated, I think a lot of people don't really understand it. And so that it's so easy to miss because it's so easy, easy to misunderstand, people gravitate towards whatever is simpler. Um, so it's possible that was more along those lines. But I would say that it's, a, it's important that we understand that Molinism is not God simply relying on his foreknowledge of the future to determine what's going to be predestined. Rather, God figures out what people would have done in all these other hypothetical scenarios, picks the scenario that will result in his plan perfectly, and then once he picks it, then he knows what's going to happen because he picked it, you know? And yet the plan he includes, the scenario he picks, is not a deterministic, I flick a domino, and because I flick that domino, this resulted in Trent drinking the cup of water or picking the red gel instead of the blue jello. It, it's not about that. It's more so God takes into account my, my actions. And if God wanted a different plan, he wouldn't have changed my actions. He would have picked somebody else that would have done what I would have, he wants me to do. Does that make any sense? It's not yeah. God over well, it's him using it, utilizing it. And, uh, and, and it's, and it's, I think, I think things get a, a little more, um, well, we're going to come back to some of the more practical stuff here in a second. So, sure. um, all right. So is there any, uh, I, you, you mentioned uh, Deuteronomy 30 um already i think um but right you know we see we're going to talk about we're kind of so here's the plan is we're going to talk about some of the strengths of molinism which is kind of what we've been doing so far um and then uh and then we're going to talk about maybe some weaknesses or what are some arguments that other people bring up uh so what we see in the old testament is we see uh multiple times we see that uh, the israelites are given that that we see that god has counterfactual knowledge um, and he and it's like he he tells the Israelites, you can choose to do this or you can choose to do this. And it is your choice. 
And whatever choice you make, um, you are responsible for that choice. So if you choose to follow me, you'll be blessed. If you choose not to follow me, you'll be cursed. Um, so, uh, so do you think, uh, uh, I mean, do you think that's, that's strong scriptural support for Molinism? Or do you think that's kind of, uh, I mean, I, 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 what, I mean, how exactly would a Molinist understand a circumstance like that? Because uh, mm-hmm. we're told some of the same things too, you know. Hey, if right. even as Christians, you know, if you if you you know don't follow Jesus here, you know, I, was, I mean, I'm studying mm-hmm. the seven churches right now in Revelation, you yeah. know, and it's like, hey, if you guys don't repent, I'm coming for you, you know. <laughs> right. So. Definitely. Definitely. Um, what I would say throughout the Old Testament scriptures, um, there's and the New Testament, there's quite a few um, really act that humans are responsible for their choices and have freedom of the will. Um, I, when you look through it, let's see if I can find this right here. I can see if that's fine. Uh, when you look through it, I think that probably the best um, example of uh, libertarian free will affirmed in scripture is in the book of first Corinthians 10 and chapter uh, sorry chapter 10 verse 13 let's see if I can find it here it is it says this no temptation is overtaking you that is not man. God is faithful and he will not let you to be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation he'll provide you a way of escape that you are able to endure so here's basically what he's saying Paul's saying, listen, with every temptation, God has given you the ability to, let me ask you this, do Christ, we as Christians always uh, say no to temptation, right? Well, no. So there are times when we say yes to temptation, and yet it says here that in every circumstance, including those times when we said yes, we have the ability to say no. And so we see right here a clear indication that we said yes, but we said no. And if we said no, that means we also could have said no, obviously, because we did. And so here we see an example of we could. Um, 13 um, says no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. It says God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you're able to endure. So it's super cool here. We see that a perfect example of libertarian free will. So it says right here, in every instance of temptation, Christians are able, they have the ability to choose to say no to temptation. And yet, what do we see? Sometimes we as Christians, we say yes to temptation. And so if we do something, that means that we have the ability to do it, right? So if I have said yes and I will fall to temptation, that means I can fall to temptation. I have the ability to do that. So here's the, here's, what we, here's the, the dilemma that you have for determinists or people who don't believe in libertarian free will. It says in scripture, I can do one thing, but I can also do another thing. Both of these choices are compatible with my ability to choose. And so that is an example of libertarian free will. We see in Deuteronomy chapter 30, where God basically says, listen, you have a choice. It's not beyond your ability to choose choice. And that's another example of libertarian free will. And so it's important that we understand that, yes, man does have the ability to choose. God has gifted him with that ability. And yet at the same time, God is still sovereign. God is in control. God, it says in scripture that um, Acts 2.23, even down to a very specific instance, not just a, 
it's not just a, oh, I'm just going to determine things are going to work out in general and good in me. And it says, no, listen, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you, talking about the Jews of the two, crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. So you see right here, a perfect example. On one hand, God has predestined it. On the other hand, lawless men freely chose to kill Jesus. And so God created the world in such a way that they are perfectly free choices brought about his predestined plan perfectly. And so there's plenty of other uh, scriptural data like that, but Molinism yeah. basically, you don't see a huge amount of scripture says, hey, Molinism is right, but you see a lot of data yeah. where it explains both sides of it, that a lot of times people from one side tried to ignore or try to explain away that Molinism basically says they're both right, and here's why we, here's how we would say it would work. Yeah, so um, uh, now we want to uh, I feel like we've we've gave a we've gave a lot of positive arguments for Molinism. Uh, sure. Uh, so let, let's go ahead and move on now to maybe some of the possible weaknesses. And um, sure. you know, it, it was so weird. I looked on you know gotquestions.org, and they're you know they're mm-hmm. they're they're notably Calvinist uh, and sure. strongly reformed. And even they were like, they. I was reading the article on Molinism, and it's like, um, uh, you know, here there's this long paragraph and. You know, God is perfectly sovereign. He knows all things. Everything works according to his will. And then they're like, but even a Molinist would agree with that paragraph. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Right. And this was their, yeah. their argument for, uh, for Calvinism. So I don't know. Right. It, was, it was interesting. But um, I, I definitely think there's some, there, there's some interesting arguments against Molinism. Um, sure. and, and Molinism being right in the middle, which every view is attacked by all the other views. But sure. Molinism being right in the middle... Uh, some of the attacks get very, very technical, very deep. Um, and it's really not going to be because. Sure. Like the sibling I, that gets. Yeah. You know, and. and sorry, like and, the sibling in the middle of the car that gets hit on either side by the, the <laughs> other kids on both sides. But yeah, yeah. right. And, uh, and, and so uh, it seems like with 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 Molinism, you know, it's not like you can just say, OK, here's a scripture. Now we're going to talk about a few scriptures, but, you know, it's not like there's no Molinist out there that um you know that's going to say well i don't really believe this scripture or no that scripture it's not like they haven't read right. the scriptures it's not like they don't know the scriptures or they deny certain parts of the scriptures right it's, it's all really an interpretation um sure and so come to verses like you know matthew 10 26 to 31 um and really this one verse it says aren't two sparrows sold for a penny yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent uh, but even the hairs of your head have all been counted so don't be afraid you're worth more than many uh, sparrows. So uh, verse 29, right. though, it says that uh, yet not one of the sparrows uh, falls to the ground without your father's consent. Uh, right. So so how would you respond to that? Because that's what, a, you know, probably a Calvinist would say, see, nothing happens, you know, without the father sure. uh, determining it to happen. So how would you respond to that? So I would say that it's very important that we look at the very, very closely at what's being said here. So it says nothing happens without your father's consent. So what did God do when he decided to create the universe just as it was? He created, including every little circumstance, including knowing that if he did this, if he created the world this way, this exact many of sparrows would fall from the tree. And so by deciding to create the world in this specific way, he was consenting to these sparrows falling and these not. And so every little thing he took into account, every little thing, he wasn't just like, you know, scroll, scroll, scroll. That's good enough. He was like, no. I'm taking into account everything down to the smallest subatomic particle going in the direction I want it to in the way that I want it to. And so 
um, both Molinism and Calvinism both strongly affirm God's sovereignty to the umph degree, but the difference is Calvinism would put the reason for that sovereignty in God's um, omnipotence, and Molinism would put the reason for that sovereignty in God's omnipotence caused by God's omniscience. And so it's not just God manhandling and saying, I'm just going to create what I want and force it to act the way I want it to, but rather what it is is saying, I know exactly what would do with my total knowledge if I, through my in infinite and immense power, create the universe in this exact way. And so that's the idea. God creates a specific way to bring about a specific exact result exactly the way he wanted it, including the sparrows. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so uh, I know another one maybe, uh, um, maybe an open theist would give is that mm -hmm. uh, uh, I guess we can kind of go ahead and get into the philosophical side of it too, but uh, all the circumstances in the Bible where it does say that uh, God changed his mind, like in Jonah, where he Definitely. changed his he changed his mind because Jonah or the Ninevites repented. Um, you know, mm -hmm. an open theist would say, "See, uh, if 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 the future can actually, if God can actually change his mind, uh, that means he right. would, he would have to be learning new information um, as it happened." Uh, <clears throat> so, how how would you kind of respond to that? I mean, what about all these circumstances where God changes his mind? Or, you know, Moses pleads with God and, and he says, God, don't, you know, don't kill all these people, all these annoying people. Sure. <laughs> so, I mean, what, what would you do so, with stuff like that? I think that's, um, I, I, one thing I don't like want to do is I don't want to say, well, yeah, but this other scripture says this, so I could get to disregard the scripture. I think people do that too often where they say, well, I don't know that. So I'm just going to throw in this other scripture that seems to say the opposite and say, well, I believe this one instead. I don't want to say this, but I do want to take a bounce look at scripture and answer both. It says in Numbers 23, 19, it says, God is not a God that he should lie, nor a, a, a son of man that he should repent. And that's the, the word used there or to change his mind, some translations say. And so on one hand, it says God changes his mind. On the other hand, it says God does not change his mind. Now, is that a contradiction? Well, no, we believe in the errancy of God's word, inerrancy of God's word, that God created the world, created the, the word to be perfect and to have no errors whatsoever, not to contradict. Um, so what we got to do is we need to understand how can this be put together? And so I would say even Calvinists can answer this really well. And so we as Molinists would agree with the Calvinists in this sense that when it comes to God changing his mind, um, it's a intentional, a change of, uh, the word repent means to make a change in direction, right? So basically to say, I'm going north and now I'm going to turn around and go south. And so when you repent from our sin, we are sinning and now we're going away to holiness. And so that's the idea. I think the, the word repent is the best word here because it's God changing his direction. It's not saying that he's confessing I was wrong, but he's changing his direction. So, for example, my, one of my favorite um, stories about God repenting in this sense is the Mount Sinai, right? So this is what happens. You know, the Israelites, they are like, you know, they're, they're terrified by God. God's giving them the law. And so he's like, hey, send Moses up here. We're about to talk, have a big talk right here. He's going to give him the Ten Commandments. He's going to come back down and give them to you guys. Moses goes up. He's, he's gone for too long. The people panic, and they create a cow a golden cow and start worshiping it and doing all kinds of messed up stuff and weird wild parties that are erotic in nature, just in a bad spot. And then Moses or then Moses and God are up in the mountain talking at this time. And God's like, Moses, these people, your people down there, they're doing messed up stuff. This is, this is not good right here. I'm going to smite them. And God's, and then uh, Moses is like, Hey man, hold up. Don't smite the man. And he pleads for the people and God repents. 
God changes his mind. So here's the question. Did God not know that Moses was going to do that? Well, no, it's in scripture. And I'll get to the scripture places in a second that say that God does know what's going to happen in the future. But what's happening here is what Molnus would say and what the Calvinists would say and anyone other than open theist basically would say is, listen, God created the world knowing that Moses would do this so that God would go in this direction towards destroying the Israelites, knowing full well that Moses would, would pray, would say this in a certain way, would, would, would talk to him, would plead with him. And from that decision, from that decision of Moses, God would change direction and do this. God's plan was always to do this, but he was genuinely going this direction until Moses prayed or talked to God and caused him to go in this direction. So God has chosen that our prayers, our, our pleading with God are the means by which he accomplishes his purposes and changes his own direction. And so it's not that God doesn't know what's going to happen, but it's that God changes his direction intentionally so that um, we can be a part of what's happening. We can be a part of it. And so that's where I would say when it says in um, Numbers 23, God is not a, a man that he should lie or son of man that he should uh, change his mind. That I would say is referring to the belief that God did not know what was going to happen, decided going to do this, learn new information, said, you know what, now I'm going to do this on this new information. I would say that that is not something God could do if he knows everything. And so I would say that's open theism would be wrong for that reason. But I would say that when it says that he repents in scripture, in that sense, changing his mind, it was intentionally waiting for Moses or the other people to pray. And then from that would change direction based off of that fact. Yeah. So, um, trying to decide whether to move on or push a little further. <laughs> of course. Don't know how much further we could push. I think we're just about at the edge. <laughs> a good, um, uh, a good resource on that one, by the way, um, would be JD Greer's book. Um, just ask. He has some really good stuff on that. Um, just for that. Yeah. So, uh, and, and here, here's where, uh, my, my personal, personal difficulty is, sure. um, uh, with this is, you know, we're, we're talking, you know, it, it's so easy when you talk about specifics per circumstance, you know, that, okay, sure. God, God knew that there was going to be a moment, um, that he would, and, and he decided, I mean, he's really just interacting with our free will, mm -hmm. according to Molinism, um, right. where according to like Calvinism, you know, he would, he's the one that would, you know, make Moses Pull angry, strings. but also, you know, make Moses to right. where, yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, but, you know, we're talking about, when I mean, when he created the world, um, uh, you know, when he created the world, and I think he intervenes with the world also, but sure, um, in, in certain you know, in certain ways, without without crossing the um, the boundaries of letting us have libertarian free will, but right, uh, you know, we're talking about from the beginning. These, I mean, it almost is. I mean, he created the world in which he knew Adam and Eve would sin, and then uh, mm -hmm. their sin and the fall of humankind. And, and their children, mm -hmm. everything was going to happen. I mean, he knew all that stuff was going to happen. So, uh, you know, but he, he still, he started that, um, right. he started that. And this is the main argument against Calvinism, but you know, right. if he started that, then, uh, wouldn't that make him, uh, the author of, of all things, uh, including, right, including evil. evil. Um, right. so, um, and, and so when he, when we start there and the dominoes fall, uh, then it still makes him the, the author of, of evil, but it also, uh, it makes it, it's either a lot more amazing or a lot more complicated and, uh, yeah. nearly impossible, you know, for him to know that, okay, if I create the world in this way, where Adam and Eve have free will in this little garden, right? you know, 
and then they they're going to sin and then later on some random guy named moses is going to lead my right. special chosen people um you know so him him deciding that so I, i've seen it with molinists where some molinists kind of lean more towards like calvinism and and how they talk and then some molinists lean more towards like arminianism sure. open theism um so so uh, uh, just back it up here the real question is definitely uh, is from the beginning when God created the world and these dominoes started falling right. that he knew was going to happen, uh, would that still make him the, the author of evil or not? Sure. So I would say no. Um, but I would say uh, your question about the complexity, how God could basically say, I'm going to create these initial circumstances to bring about so many things later, these other things happening. Like, for example, um, the Allied invasion of D-Day, right? Yeah, that for all that to happen, how could that be successful, right? What, what would what would be entailed if God wanted that to be successful? What would in, what would that happen? What would have to happen? Well, for example, Winston Churchill, he would have to be born. Well, if Winston Churchill would have to be born, that would be based on all kinds of contingent circumstances with his parents, uh, him being conceived at just the right time, and then them being conceived at just the right time, and then all kinds of things before them, and then if them stubbing their toe at the right time and all this stuff happening just to bring about the specific thing only an all-knowing um, totally omniscient god could have had the the knowledge to be able to make things just right and perfect and so for example when horrible evil things happen i think that's part of the reason why these things happen there's a good reason for them so for example um the calvinist um when he's confronted with the holocaust um the calvinist has a really difficult time um, answering the problem of evil when it comes to the Holocaust, because basically he's saying God set up the the, the first domino to causally deter, casu causually determine that Hitler would do all these horrible things to these Jews, and so that implicates God. And so you can get into um, compatibilism and things like that, but at the end of the day, whoever hit that first domino in determinism, they're the ones responsible. Um, the open theist you think would be uh, would have the uh, excuse me, would be able to get off on this, but they don't actually either because with the open theist, um, sure, God might not have known that it, was going to, that it was going to happen ahead of time, but once it starts to happen, why doesn't God do anything to stop it? And so, I mean, think about it. He has no good reasons to let it happen if he doesn't know how it's going to re result in the future, how it's going to change things in the future. Um, and so he's basically just lets it happen for no good reason. Um, but with the Molinists, this is a great thing where he has the evangelist saying, listen, God chose to allow this to happen specifically. God chose to include this in this plan specifically because he knew if he let it happen, the result would be the greater good. And so it's his middle knowledge again. If I did this, I know this would happen. If I intervened and did this instead, this would happen right here. Who knows? Maybe a worse war would have happened if he killed Hitler or whatever. So um, it, all kinds of reasons. So really, I mean, really what, what every, I mean, really every single one of these views is going to say is that uh, I mean? Because I mean, they can't they can't just deny you know the entire creation. I mean, even if even if you're yeah. a open theist evolutionary creationist, right. you know, God still allowed evil into the world. So uh, right. really, the debate starts getting into you know, was there right. a, was you know the possible yeah. world stuff? You know, was there another possible world? You know, which we could freely choose God but not have sin and stuff. Um, That's a good know, question. Yeah, it kind of gets into a different topic, but. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't mind to, to speak to that if you'd like me to. Yeah, if um, you want well, to, so. and then we can get into, um, well, let's kind of jump us into the practical application, and then we'll sure. talk about some of these other things. Well, definitely. So the, the question is, could God have created a world? Is it possible? Could God have created a world in which um, everyone he created just freely chose the right thing and just did it? 
right? And everyone, no one ever hurt anybody. Everyone got saved. It was all perfect, right? Um, and I would say yes. But here's the thing. God could have created that world with one person in it, and that person always did the right thing. Um, and God took him home never, 10 seconds Never later, killed right? anybody. Never killed his brother. Right. Never killed anybody, right? So like, for example, he just made Adam for a little bit, Adam and Eve, before they fell, right? And then he just took them home to heaven right before they fell. Yeah, he could have done that. Um, but the question is, could he have done that with this many people? And so the question is not, could God create a world in which everyone gets saved? But the question is, could God create a world in which everyone he wanted to get saved, i.e. The, the billions of people across human history that have come to know him. So like you, me, could he have created a world in which you and I exist at this time and place where all this stuff happens? And not just that, but there's also other considerations as well Is um, think about this. If he added 10 billion more people in the universe, of course, more people would have gotten saved. And he could always do that. Add 10, mil 10 billion more, add 10 billion more, add 10 billion more. And so at some point he has to say, there's never going to be a greater number of people saved. So you just have to cut off and say, this is good. I'm, I'm happy with this number of people being saved. You also got to consider if he added 10 billion more people, maybe a greater ratio of people would have been lost and saved. Um, that's another consideration as well, or even consider this as well. Now, let me, uh, um, let me, can I push that a little bit? Because even, I mean, I mean, and I get, I mean, you're trying to make a point there, but uh, really, according to Molinism, God's not, I mean, like right now, God's not mm -hmm. going to decide, uh, well, he would already decided it before, but, uh, you know, he's not sitting here and say, okay, now I'm going to add 10 billion more, now I'm going to add 10 billion more. I mean, he was kind of, sure. I mean, he let the world go in the, in the course that, that he left it in, kind of. Um, Kind of. Um, so I'm talking about the initial circumstances of creation. So God could yeah. create a world, which would, okay, which, yeah. which would okay. have resulted in 10 billion more people been there. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying there. So God's picking the world, or he could have picked a world which the exact same amount happened, and then he decided to create more later if he really wanted to, which would be a little weird. Um, it doesn't seem to fit with the six days of creation and stuff like that. But sure, he could have created that world. That's what he wanted to do. Um, but it runs into what is the greatest... Um, why did God create the world in this way? And so what I would say, some people have said, well, it's the greatest number of people. Some have said it's the greatest percentage of people. Some have said that it's the greatest percentage of people who have also grown the most spiritually. There's all kinds of uh, reasons that could play into this. Um, but this really gets into the, why did God create the world this way? Um, and I think that that's, that's a question for why would God do this? I don't know why God would do this. I don't think we can know why God did it perfectly. We can guess. Could be number of souls. Could be the spiritual growth of the people. Yeah. Could be anything. Because um, I have a pet peeve with that when, you know, because a lot of people do that and just stop. But mm -hmm. I like what you just did. Where you're like, okay, I may not know 100% what God's total purposes were. I mean, I'm not going to. Sure. And probably not even in the afterlife because he's still going to be God and we're sure. not going to be God. You know, but we've thought about it and we say, you know, there's this possibility like Alvin Plantinga, you know, if, because evil right. exists, we understand good, you know, like in C.S. Lewis, right. you know, how do yeah. I know? Evil how do I know? Just be the highlight good. Yeah. 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 Uh, like for example, like one thing that many Calvinists will say, and so I, I have compassion on the view. I don't think it's a complete view. Um, but like, for example, people in hell, um, people, someone like Satan, for example, will end up going to hell is prepared for him. He has chosen to do this, and God displays his wrath um, through him and his justice by punishing Satan for what Satan has done. And so showing, I am just, I am, I'm going to bring justice to the person who got raped. He's, I'm going to punish that rapist. I'm going to do all this. And so he brings justice, and so that glorifies God. And so there's some to that. I think, though, that to say that's the only reason um, is where Calvinists get a little bit in, in the wrong and stuff, because they say, well, wouldn't it have been better for that person to have gone to heaven and received God's grace 
rather than God showing his justice by sending him to hell. But I think there is definitely some credit to the fact that, yes, even when he that person freely stuck their nose up to God and said, no, God, God still gets glory because he is displaying his justice and bringing justice to that woman who got raped or whatever happened. And so it is, I think, um, either way, God gets the glory, but God still says in scripture, God desires that all men be saved. It's like, listen, this is what I prefer. This is my will. But if you're not going to do it, ain't going to stop me from getting my glory anyway. And so I'm going to do everything I can to get you on here short of overriding your free will, which he could do if he wanted to, but he's chosen not to by his grace, I think, for a good reason. But and so yeah. I, and and um, uh, we really got to move on. But I just want to I want to throw sure. this out there. This is a thought I've had before. Uh, and uh, maybe you could tell me, hey, that does line up with Molinism or, you know, no, sure. you're crazy. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, like well, uh, in different ways. Yeah, right. Uh, so so here's kind of how um, here's how I see here's how I see God working with the world he created uh, sure. I think he I think he created the world and uh, I think oftentimes he doesn't actually interact with our free choices and uh, I think sometimes he just kind of lets us make our free choices and it's not thwarting his plan so he doesn't do anything mm-hmm. to stop it um, necessarily now if he if, yeah. if if he saw we were going to freely choose to make this choice and he like you know if he if he saw that I was you know, I don't know, uh, let's, let's go to something crazy. You know, if he saw that, you know, uh, I was going to shoot myself or something, uh, or somebody right. was going to shoot me, you know, he, if he saw that, that could happen, then he could stop it before it actually happens. Um, you know, right. he, he could interact there, but if he didn't have a purpose for it, he may let the free will just go ahead and act out, uh, without <laughs> interacting and just letting free will go. Uh, but st- right. I still think he would still be sovereign because, he's the one that created the world with these parameters in it where it's possible for somebody to even mm-hmm. do that. So, I mean, is that still a Molinist or am I, am I turning open theist on myself? <laughs> um, not exactly. So it is, is basically Molinism. So I think it's important to understand that. Um, so Molinism can, and honestly, open theism, Molinism, and it's easy to conflate that with deism, the idea that God yeah. just creates the world and sits back and does nothing. And so that's not what we're saying here. Um, God does create the world and God does sustain the world. Um, so everything is, it says in scripture is sustained by his power. And so um, the whole universe is sustained by him. It's something uh, it's called concurrism. The idea is that everything that happens, God has to concur to basically allow that to happen. You see that in Job or uh, a practical example of that, a, a personification, which is not exactly a personification, but it shows it in a personal way, even though it was a literal story. But the idea is basically that um Basically, uh, Satan says, complains to, to God, and he's like, well, Job, your servant, he's all stupid and everything, and he's only following you because of this, Y, and Z, and God's like, all right, I'm going to allow you this, Y, and Z, and so even if God doesn't have to say that every time, every time Satan does something, every time we do something, God has to basically say, I'm allowing it, I'm allowing it, I'm allowing it, I'm concurring to let that happen, this idea called concurrism, as opposed he, to, right. And, and if middle, middle knowledge is true, his right. choice to interact or not has already been decided. Yeah, he's already before, he's, so right? basically yeah. he's created the world knowing full well that he would concur with those choices happening, not because all those choices were individually his will. It says in scripture um, that his will is that none should perish, his will that we should avoid sexual immorality, and yet we as Christians still do it sometimes. And so even though it's not always in his perfect will, it's within what's called his permissive will or his sovereign plan. Um, to let those things happen, um, because that's a part of what the world he decided to create. And so the world he decided to create includes the miracles, the miraculous intervention he put in there. So for example, the parting of the Red Sea, 
he's he's not just stepping back like the deist god where he just steps back and does nothing but rather he's like all right i'm gonna create a world in which all this happens leading up to the red sea and then i'm going to intervene split the red sea let these people go through and then every time he intervenes that's included in the world as well and so it's it's not a step back and do nothing which can it can sound like that when you say he creates the world in such a way that it naturally brings about our free choices naturally bring about the the good stuff but it's more a matter of our natural choices and then him intervening as a, as a free agent himself and doing what he wants to as well, including our prayers resulting in changing these things, all the stuff designed for we didn't, purpose. We didn't, uh, we didn't, we didn't really explain uh, deism uh, bluntly, sure. but I mean, deism is pretty much this, this, you correct me if I'm wrong, but it's this, this sure. view that God created the world and he stepped back and he let the world do what he's going to do pretty much. Pretty much, it says, hey, he creates the world. It could be the Molnus way, where in such a way where this happens. It could be the Arminius way, where he just blindly creates and says, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't really care. It could be a Calvinist way, where it's going to causally determine stuff, and then he just doesn't really pay attention while it just kind of the dominoes fall. But in the same way, it's just a God's not interacting. He doesn't really care about us. He just kind of does. We do our own thing. Which honestly, I'm seeing that a lot in our churches today with young people, where they're like, so I can believe be a theist. But he doesn't care what I do. He doesn't care what I do with my girlfriend. He doesn't care if I don't obey him. I'm just going to do whatever I want. And yeah. it's more, it's not a really, when you look into it, it's not a really defendable position. It's just, a, I feel like believing this so I feel better about myself. Yeah. All right. So, so let me, uh, let me just, I mean, we've kind of, we've kind of hit all around it. So let me just go ahead and give the one the my, my objection that we talked about before. Uh, I really shouldn't say objection. It's more of a struggle because I'm, I mean, I'm, sure. I'm this close to saying I'm fully a Molinist. Sure. <laughs> But, uh, you know, if it's just it seems so weird to think that if God if God knows the future, you know, if he knows I'm going to go, if he knows I'm going to eat green beans or something for lunch tomorrow. Yeah. uh, Then I get to lunch, you know, and yeah, sure. It may feel like I can choose green beans or French fries, but God already knows I'm going to choose green beans. Yeah, right. And, uh, you know, and, and you wrote about this in one of your articles I was reading today. Right. Uh, uh, about uh, what was it? Uh, uh, caviar. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I hate caviar. <laughs> yes. God knows that. Uh, yes, he but, does know that. <laughs> so, so I mean, if God, if God really, if if God knows the future, as, as, as I mean, almost as if it's already happened. Which I mean, I don't, I don't. Well, that's a whole sure. different topic. But uh, if He already knows the future, as if it's already happened, can the future actually be changed or not? Um, so so do i really yeah can you it's could you make a different choice and so this is the 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 view i like to call the foreknowledge equals determinism objection the idea is if god knows it's going to happen for sure then can it happen any differently and i think this is an important objection but i think that this is it's based off of the wrong logical order of events and so think of this for example let me use an analogy to help you understand this here so um, a thermostat. What's a thermostat do? It controls the weather in your house, right? It's a it's deterministic of the weather. It it stands in causal relation to result in the weather change. Um, what's a thermostat do? Um, a th- or a, I'm sorry. What's a, a thermometer do? A thermo- thermometer measures the current temperature of the weather. What does a barometer do? A barometer predicts the weather. Now let me ask you this. Uh, let's just say the barometer was always right. Does the barometer? cause the storm that happened a week later well no the bra it's not like the the storm's like checking in saying oh well that barometer says i'm going to make a thunderstorm so i'm going to do it now so i think this is the big uh big misunderstanding here is knowledge does not stand in causal relation and so i think this is the big the big reason why this is a big deal is because the 
the logical order of events in foreknowledge does not match the chronological order of events. This is important here. So when I'm uh, knowing something that happened in the past, um, the event, let's just say I, I took my water and I moved it over here, right? I know right now that that happened. Well, why do I know that happened? Because that happens, right? I, I, my knowledge came logically after this, uh, this water bottle uh, happening. It also happened to have come chronologically after as well. I did this in one moment time at 740. And then at 741, I remembered it. And so it also happened to happen this way. So I think the problem is when you go for knowledge, you're basically saying, I know what's going to happen logically because Trent has moved this water bottle. And so logically, it comes after the water bottle, the knowledge. So it's not that God's knowledge moved, but rather the fact that I'm water bottle determines God's knowledge of it. So if I would have done something differently, then God would have known something differently. Just the, the, the hiccup comes because God happens to know it beforehand. And so that's, that's the real question. If you're thinking about it, like the barometer that helps me the most with that knowledge does not stand in causal relation. I think that's the big key. Um, I, I actually, uh, I came up with a, a, a syllogism, a bunch of syllogisms um, to kind of capture the idea um, of this argument really well. Um, because I think that basically to put it, we don't have much time to go through all of them. Um, but basically the idea is um, the problem is it's conflating two different types of certainty. Um, so um, with this objection, it's assuming if something is going to happen for sure, then it could not have happened differently. But the problem with that is um, it's mistaking certainty of it just happens. That's just the way it's going to be. What will be, will be, and the ability to do otherwise. So for example, um, was it true that in 1940, it would be 1941 the next year? Well, of course. But the fact that it was 1940 had no effect on the fact that it was 1941 this next year, or that's not a great analogy, or imagine this, the fact that I uh, drank this water, um, does that, does that result in um, a, I, I, I lost the, the line of thought here, but does the fact that I know, now, this is where we have to stop, I, where am I, am I still in the earth? Yes. Um, <laughs> But yeah, the basic all I have to say is knowledge does not stand in causal relation. Um, and just because something is going to happen for sure, here, here's what I was saying. So was it true that um, 100 years before Napoleon was born, that Napoleon would be born in 100 years? Well, yeah, of course it was true that 100 years before Napoleon was born, Napoleon was born, Napoleon would be born in 100 years. Now, would that change if somebody knew about it? Well, no. Regardless of if someone knew about it or not, it was certain to happen. Um, but does that mean that the events leading up to it, the person could not have chosen otherwise? They still had the freedom to choose otherwise, but it was still certain to happen. And so the open theist conflates the certainty of the future of which is what's going to happen is going to happen with the ability, the, the free ability to choose one thing or the other. Does that make any kind of sense? Yeah. And, the, and uh, my response has always been, you know, uh, I mean, really, it's what you just said. Sure. Uh, it's just me trying to dumb it down. Sure. <laughs> but I mean, pretty much it's, you know, uh, uh, if, I mean, if I were to freely choose to, to eat, I remember Dr. White and Dr. Brown debated on Calvinism, Arminianism. Mm -hmm. And I think Dr. Brown would probably be a Molinist. 
but you know they were they got to they got into the cross examination point and uh, they got talking about egos and uh, does God determine that I'm going to eat my egos or not? And it was so funny and they were all laughing, but they were their points were getting across. Definitely. But you know if I if I did decide, you know what, tomorrow I'm not going to eat green beans, I'm going to eat French fries. You know, it's not that right. God's forcing me to make that decision. It's that God's knowledge at that point it would it would have been different. Had, had yeah, it known. was based on your decision, right? Yeah, so it still makes me the causal agent, um, <clears throat> right? And and it still gives him foreknowledge of the events. Yeah, just like uh, if I were to know that I was going to eat an Oreo, the reason I knew I was going to eat an Oreo is because I'd made the decision to eat the Oreo. Um, yeah. And so it's it's always even if it's coming before, it's knowledge is the of a choice always comes yeah. as a result of the choice. So you know, and it's and it's. Um, you know, to me, it's almost, it almost feels like, uh, in my mind, it's like, you know, I want, it's like, I, it's like, I want to get out of the control of God. I, maybe that's just sure. my sinful nature, you know, but you know, it does help me to understand it when sometimes, cause sometimes so we do that, we say, okay, you know, like we were talking about with the FBI setting up the guy, you know, we know that we know right. how people are probably going to act in these situations, but the difference between us and God is God's not guessing. He's 100% yeah. sure because he sees right. the future, like he sees the present. Um, or probably better than he's right. <laughs> uh, so uh, let me go ahead and if, if it's all right with you, I want to move on to uh, at least one or two of these practical applications before we go. Sure, um, absolutely. Um, uh, so we have already kind of covered the problem of evil. So let's talk about Jesus' incarnation because this has always been really interesting to Definitely. me when you talk about God's sovereignty. All right. So uh, and and, and right. the Calvinists, I think uh, I think their explanation is is the most easy. It's it's the most soothing. You know, when you, when, I think it's because right. it's kind of basic because it's like God wanted it to happen. So he made it happen. So it's really easy, right. I think. And so it's, it's easier to teach. It's easier to preach. It's easier to share, sure. you know, um, but, right. you know, let's, let's just focus on, on the Molinist perspective on this. So, I mean, Isaiah 53 prophesied that all this stuff was going right. to happen perfectly. Um, so now how does right. that, you know, how does that fit within Molinism? You know, did, did God force those events to happen? Uh, did he interact with people's free will to make sure those mm -hmm. events happen? What exactly would, would what exactly do you think God did there? Well, I think Isaiah chapter 46, 9 through 10 says it very clearly. Um, and I think that we always want to go to the scriptures. Um, the, the big problem I have with open theism is not its logical coherence, but rather it's just it doesn't conflict. It doesn't it conflicts with scripture. Um, and the big problem I have with uh, Calvinism is that it conflicts with some scripture, but it just it's not coherent with the idea that God is morally good. Um, but anyway, Isaiah 46, 9 through 10 says, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand, I will accomplish my purpose. And then right here we have in Acts 2, 23, specifically applied to the incarnation. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So I'd say um, the, the important thing um, is that God, just like the Calvinists, did it because God, God made sure it happened because he wanted it to. But here's the catch. By using our free choices to bring it about. And so God creates the world saying, hey, I want people to be saved. In order for people to be saved, Jesus has to die on the cross. In order for Jesus to die on the cross, these, um, he has to be killed by people. What people are freely, not coerced by me, but freely going to make it happen? These people right here, I'm going to create a world in which they will be in those circumstances, freely choose to do this, crucify him, 
he gets crucified, he raises from the dead, and he saves this many people. And so in every case with the Molinists, just like any kind of issue with the problem of evil, you always have every bad thing that happens always has a greater good purpose. So we have the, the, the reassurance that everything happens for a reason. And we also have the reassurance on the other end that God is not the source of the evil and he's not the one to blame. Rather, he is the one that is redeeming all things for our good. For we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And we can say, just like Joseph, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. The same exact word there. We, by ourselves, libertarianly free, meant this for evil, crucifying Jesus. And God, libertarianly free, just the way he wanted it, meant it for good. It was a both and. It's not an either or. And I think that's such a key thing there. And that's the only way I think that we can approach this in a way that is consistent with the scriptures that say God desires all men to be saved and consistent with the scriptures that say God has predestined everything exactly the way he planned it. Yeah, so um, uh, it's, it's a lot to take in. Uh, yeah. You know, and and I and even even Romans eight twenty eight, uh, you know, because I, I it really bothers me because people will say, you know, um, uh, well, we can just stick with Jesus, you know, uh, you know, because people would say, I mean, I mean, Jesus's mom during that time, she didn't she didn't think that was good at all until <laughs> after yeah. he was resurrected, you know, um, right. You know, so a lot of times people will, and, and Jesus's incarnation is so different, I think, than just the normal everyday yeah. stuff, because it was, it's so important to all of history, you know, right? Uh, you know, right. when, when my grandmother, you know, my great grandmother died, you know, uh, that didn't affect all of humankind, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so we're on, we're at mm-hmm. two different things here. Um, uh, but um, uh, I, I, I think I think that God, and it's, that's what's just so cool to me, is that if Jesus had come at any other time, you know, if he would have come when David was around, uh, it would it would it just wouldn't have worked as smoothly as God saw fit for it sure. to work. You know, if he if Jesus were, you know, because the Jews were doing their thing, I mean, if Jesus wouldn't have come until mm-hmm. later, I mean, the prophecies would have all changed because God would have known what was going to sure. happen. But I mean, even if he were to come later, it wouldn't have worked. So God knew that, hey. If I put Jesus in this circumstance, in this government, in this town, with these people, mm-hmm. with these Pharisees, these people are going to say this. These people are going to turn on him. Judas, you know, freely right. chose to turn on, on Jesus. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it is just cool how God interacts with that. And even in the midst of people, um, you know, even in the midst of people uh, sinning and, and choosing to rebel right. and choosing to turn against God and rejecting the Messiah, you know, even in the midst of that, God brought about good. Uh, is just it's absolutely right. phenomenal, and uh, and and the more yeah. you understand it, it just gets even more amazing. Uh, Do you have anything to add there? I would like to. I'd like to talk about these last yeah. two real quick. Uh, sure. Let me just say real quick. Yeah. Um, go ahead. I would like to. Uh, I would like to say. I would actually like to challenge what you said a little bit right there when you said that. The, t- the ways in which your, your grandmother died was uh, not impactful on the rest of humanity um, very strongly. I would say, have you ever seen that movie Jurassic Park? Um, it's, uh, it's, it's got some evolutionary <laughs> stuff and I'm not, I'm not endorsing all the stuff, but the way that the weird guy, the one with the glasses and stuff like that, he's like chaos theory. It's all going to happen. And this one little thing is going to result in this. But there's some truth to the fact that even a butterfly's wings, it's been shown can result just flapping its wings in Africa can result in a hurricane happening um, in the southern United States. And so what you see is every little thing has a specific um, 
uh, has so many effects that we don't even realize. Like, for example, the fact that you brought it up today as a part of your argument may change someone's view on Molinism or not Molinism or other things. And if their view on this changes the way they raise their children, if they even have a child and that child changes the fact that um, whatever and stuff like that, whether they're the next Billy Graham or not. And so all that to say, this is why I think it's so key. This is the, the system where it makes the most use of our pain. It's, there's no useless pain. There's no mindless suffering. It's all for a very specific reason. And yet it's not God doing the suffering. It's God specifically saying, almost like you have a floodgate where he's saying, I'm going to let this in. I'm not going to let this in. I'm going to let this in. I'm not going to let this suffering in. And so he, in other words, he never wastes our pain. Something I encourage my students back in Tennessee when I used to be a youth minister there is, God will never waste your pain. God never promises that you're not going to experience pain because then newsflash, when I experience pain, why has God betrayed me? That's not how that works. Rather, God will never waste our pain because he's led it through for a specific purpose, for a specific reason, and that will always bring about the greatest good, even if we don't see why it is on the side of eternity. Yeah, and um, uh, <clears throat> you know, you get this deep in thought, you have to really think hard. <laughs> Sure. And uh, but, but you know, and we could we could talk about that. I, I wanted to talk about uh, soteriology too, but we're really running out of time. Definitely. But uh, just on the same topic, we can always go of, for a part uh, two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Um, uh, so uh, uh, you know, like like my um, and and just get, I've done this before. You know, just to get real personal. My mother sure. died when I was fifteen, and uh, right. had it had it not been for her dying. I'm just going to give you all the right. facts and then I'll tell you how, how this actually is, has been the, the focus of my, uh, my views of sovereignty pretty much. Uh, right. But, you know, I saw her die. I, I was there. She suffered. It changed. I mean, it completely changed my life, of course. I mean, I was 15 and yeah. uh, completely, I mean, it was almost completely unexpected and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So anyways, um, and then later on though, had my mother not have died, um, uh, for one, I wouldn't have went through depression, but for two, I don't think I would have been as strong a, of a minister as I am because right. after she died and when I went into the ministry, this stuff wasn't just theory. You know, this was, this is life. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and some of this stuff sucks. <laughs> right. And, uh, Facts. And, so, and so here's kind of how I perceive it. And uh, I don't know what, what category this really puts me. And that's why I'm having a hard time saying, yes, I'm a Molinist. Sure. But uh, so so my mother, uh, uh, she she didn't she wasn't a super healthy eater. You know, she didn't right. exercise. You know, she made choices that kind of hurt her health, you know. Um, right. So so typically a Christian is going to say the most popular response is God chose for your mother to die this circumstance. Um, but I think a better I think a better way to say it. And I, th I think you would agree with me. Just let me know when I'm done. Mm -hmm. But. I think a better way to say it is that no, her free choices caused her health to decline. But when she was in this moment, because she had a major stroke, she was paralyzed for a year, and then she had another major stroke uh, that pretty much made her brain dead. And so, um, so what I would say is, is that no, God didn't say, uh, God didn't really, you know, force her to die this specific time. He didn't say, this is when I want you to die, or this is when I choose for you to die. It was your choices sure. have gotten you here. And what God could have done is he could have intervened and said, you know what? No, I'm not going to sure. let you die, even though your health is at the point where, you know, your brain did because people have come back from that. Sure. You know? He could have stepped in and stopped it, you know, but. Uh, right. But, you know, he he allowed it. He allowed her to die. He could have stopped her dying, but he allowed her to die. 
And then he used uh, this fallen world and, and the, the death of my right. mother to, and he brought good out of it um, in, right. in my life as a minister and uh, in various ways in my, in my sibling's life. And it gets a lot more complicated if I talk about my siblings because uh, some of them sure. got drawn further away from the faith and all that stuff. So, right. uh, so, so yeah, if you would just respond to that and, uh, and uh, we'll have to move on to closing thoughts after that. Of course. Yeah. That's no problem at all. Um, so I, I think that it, um, it's a both and situation. Um, so it is true that your mother's free choices, um, and I want to tread carefully because I know this is a very sensitive topic and everything, even if it's been years and stuff, this is not something to just be like thrown around loosely. Um, yeah. But your mother's free choices did result in specific outcomes. And God knew that if she was in those outcomes, she would cause those things to happen. Um, but so that in one sense, she was the cause of those things, not God. In another sense, God is the one who actualized the world in which she chose to do that. So God knew if I put her in these circumstances, she will freely, keyword there freely, choose to do this. And so this will be the result. And so it's a both and cause to it um, where she is responsible because God didn't coerce her to doing it. And yet at the same time, God is the one who brought about the circumstances that she freely chose to kind of like the FBI bringing the car and the, the car thief's freely chose to, to steal it. I think it's almost like it's, it's two different types of cause. So like, for example, if I were to uh, jump up and down on a cliff um, and uh, uh, a rhinoceros came and hit me off the cliff, right? And I wasn't paying attention. Well, what what caused me Been to fall to my that. death? Uh, yeah, all right. It's, it's the worst <laughs> when that happens, but what caused me to fall to my death? Well, you could say the rhino caused me to fall to my death or you could say the force of gravity caused me to fall to my death. Both would be true answers. And so I think that the same thing in this, you could say in that analogy, um, she would be the rhino and God would be the force of gravity. You know, it's the world in which God chose. And yet it's the world in which he, he chose where she would make free choices and stuff. And so it's a both and. And I think that it'd be more correct. It'd be the most correct to say, yes, uh, God included her free choice, which resulted in this happening in his plan that he had from all eternity. Yeah. And it's and it's this is and maybe maybe one of these days we could get on here and just talk about you know okay because this is I mean especially for me being a, like a youth pastor you know um, sure. the theoretical stuff you know I, I need to know it you know because I need to be sure. able to explain it and I need to know it's true right but you know really it's the practical stuff is really where you're going to start understanding Definitely. I think all of these views you know the worst story um, the worst story i've ever heard and i'll let this be my closing thoughts and then you can give sure. uh, you know 2 3 minutes to closing thoughts um, but the worst story i ever heard is i had a friend staunch calvinist i mean reformed guy all the way around and uh, mm -hmm. and and uh, uh, long story short uh, uh, long story short his his wife left him and cheated on him and left yeah. him and uh, and i mean it just just really wrecked his life and so he comes to me and of course he's a Calvinist and he's like, listen, uh, he's like, I know, I know God chose for this to happen um, because, you know, for, for some greater purpose or whatever, you know, it's right. like God forced her to do these things. And I'm like, dude, that's not it, man. <laughs> you know, she freely chose yeah. to do those things and uh, you know, God and God's going to use even this evil. He's going to bring good out of it, you know? Right. It's kind of, that's, that's one of the most impactful stories I think of, of the, the the downfall of Calvinism, and um, mm -hmm. and 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 I think some of the and, and and really making some of these other views make a lot more sense. Sure. <clears throat> so. Yeah, I would say that uh, 
um that's such a hard thing um yeah it's hard because um when we it, it says in scripture that god has a specific plan all throughout the world um and his plan does take place it says Ephesians 1 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. It says that Romans 8 29, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. So everything is according to the definite plan of God. And yet it also says, uh, 1 Corinthians, that we have free will and our choices have consequences and we're the cause of those consequences. And so it's that balance between God is in control and yet part of his control is allowing those free choices. And I would say that in closing for me, the most important thing that our readers get or listeners rather get, get from this um, is the application that your pain is never, ever wasted ever. Um, every, every circumstance is for a specific purpose is for a specific reason. And God's never going to waste it. And yet at the same time, God has not caused your pain. Um, and our pain is caused by sin and the sin of people, the sin, uh, our own sin, the natural sin of the natural um, the fallenness of this world and all these things. And God will one day redeem that and bring good from that. And so we can come to God, not as the source of our pain, um, but as the solution to our pain, he will never waste it. And so we can trust that even when the hardest of times happening, it's never happening as some mindless biology. This is happening for a reason. And it's happening for a reason that God's not the one at fault for it. All right. Well, Trent, thank you so much for coming on. Um, hopefully there'll be a lot of questions and maybe we can uh, get you on for part yeah. two and, or, uh, talk we'll about, I mean, we've to. got, a, we've got a bazillion topics we could talk about. So, um, yeah. but so anyways, yeah. y'all, thank you so much for watching, uh, and listen, the next podcast, we're getting Dr. Jerry Ray. He's got a PhD in new Testament and he, uh, I've asked him to come on and talk about the spiritual gifts and cessationism, continuationism. Uh, mm -hmm. I am, I am extremely excited about that. He's one of my old professors and, uh, it's, it's going to be great. So. Uh, that's going to be up next, hopefully, and uh, and uh, hopefully next time Christian won't be having power surges, so he can he can join me. So, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. All right, Trent. Well, uh, thank you very much. And listen, make sure you all go check out Baseline no Christianity. And uh, if if you're a theologian, you know, reach out to Trent, and um, you know, and and uh, you know, talk to him about and, uh, getting some articles on the website. So, uh, hey, do you want to yeah, you yeah, want to yeah. give out your uh, your email real quick if anybody wants to get a hold of you? Definitely. Yeah, so you can, any of you guys can contact me there on the contact page on my website. Uh, you just go to Trent, you go to baselinechristianity.com, go to the about page, you can put your contact information there, or you can email me directly at trent.blakeland, that's B-L-A-K-E-L-A-N-D at gmail.com. So happy to hear from you. All right. Thank you all so much for watching. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you so much for watching the Grace Bond Ministries podcast or listening to the podcast. Uh, I know there's various ways that you could be listening to this right now or watching this right now, uh, but I just want to say thank you so much. And if you would, uh, wherever you're listening, if you're listening on YouTube, you know, subscribe to the YouTube channel, um, podcast, please you know, leave a five-star review and uh, write a little thing in there. If you're on Facebook, you know, leave a comment. Uh, let me know how this impacted you or uh, even any other questions or comments or concerns you may have. Um, and also, if you have an idea or you have something you'd really want to talk more uh, deeply about, you can always email me at gracebondministries at gmail.com. But thank you so much. Remember, for it is by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourselves, for it is the gift of God. Thank you for listening to Grace Bond Ministries.